Who here likes conflict? Anybody? I know some of you weirdos are out there that like conflict. All right, it's okay. You can claim it. It's all right. Some of you guys are wired for conflict. You just like conflict. In fact, maybe you don't feel like life is really happening unless there's some drama or some conflict or some tension going on. The rest of us, though, um, really don't like conflict too much. How many of you like thrillers? Like thriller TV shows? You know, and what is it so, that's so cool about a thriller? Why do we, like, on the edge of our seat, ah, it's going to happen? Why? What is that all about? I get a lot of hot air. Why do we like thrillers? Why do we like that like tension? This like this moment of something is going to happen. There's going to be like this. Ah, it's going to pop. It's going to blow up. Um, in fact, the tension when it comes to movies, we like that because we know at the end of the day, the movie is going to be resolved. Right? The movie's going to be resolved. In fact, we know how it's supposed to end. We know if the bad guy is supposed to get what's coming to him. We know if the good guy is supposed to win, or if the good guy is really not the good guy. And the good guys should lose and the bad guy's actually the good guy because we're all mixed up with our shows now and we know what's supposed to happen but we want them to surprise us with how it happens and that's how thrillers work when it comes to conflict though the whole system works against us because we have this tension that's built up and we just don't know what's going to happen if i have the conversation if i deal with that person what's going to happen what's going to happen and so we're afraid of what might happen. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. And tension just keeps building up. I don't like, I think if I blow any more in this, it's going to explode into a million pieces. Um, but the anticipation is often way worse than the outcome. Have you ever experienced that? When you have conflict and you're like, have this conversation you're supposed to have, and you're like avoiding it like the plague. The anticipation and the worry and all the weird stuff around it is usually worse than the actual thing that happens. It's usually worse. And we know what's going to happen, but we don't know the outcome. And what we have is fear. Fear. And fear, fear is not from God. Fear is never from God. In fact, it's 2 Timothy 1, and I'm ta not talking about the fear of God. That's a whole other thing we could talk about. I'm talking about being afraid of things, being afraid to take a step or to do what you know is good or what's right or you feel like you should do because you're afraid. It says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as we go through this series talking about conflict and how do we deal with conflict well, if fear is your primary response to conflict, then i got to tell you, in this area of your life, when it comes to conflict, you're not following Christ. You're not. And I'm not like, I'm not like trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to point out a fact that if, if fear is your main driver in dealing with conflict at this stage of your growth, then you're not following Christ. 
And that might be okay with you. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're like, well, I've got all kinds of ways of dealing with, with um, conflict. We'll talk about those. Some people get really mad. Some people like, like run away and hide. We're going to talk about that in a second. But if you want to know how to deal with it in a way that honors Christ, because the subtitle of this series is Honoring Christ Through Conflict, then we have to go a different way. We can't let fear control and consume us. We can't let the anticipation of what's going to happen and the tension that's built up keep us from doing what is good and what is right. And you're not alone. A lot of people are afraid of conflict. A lot of people fear what might happen if they have the conversation. It's, it's pretty normal. Most people don't like contact, conflict. And fear creates two responses. All right, there we go. Fear creates two responses. Number one is fight. Where's my fighters? Come on, where's my, yeah, there we go. Where's my fighters at? Okay, when you are afraid, when somebody comes to you and says, look, I got a problem with what you said to me and how you treated me the other day. Some people just respond with, all right, let's go, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> you have called me out. You have called me out. You've disrespected me in front of other people. I'm going to make sure that you know never to do that again. I don't care what you said. I don't care if it's true. I don't care if it's right. I don't care if it's a healthy conversation that needs to happen. I'm going to destroy you. That is the fight. And that is a response to fear. Because you're afraid of the tension of this conflict of what might happen. What might be the outcome? Maybe I lose social status. Maybe I, I um, get disrespect or I become disrespected among my peers or, or a, a weakness or insecurity is pointed out and now I'm going to be treated poorly or I'm not going to... Gonna, something's going to happen. I don't know. In, in your mind, if I were to ask you, what are you afraid will happen? Uh, I don't know, but I can't let this happen. It's that fight response. I'm afraid, so I'm going to fight you. The other one is flight. Flight. Where are my runners? <laughs> yeah, we got some runners too. We have fighters and we got runners. And the runners, the runners are like, I'm going to avoid this like the plague. I'm never going to speak to you again. We're just never going to have a conversation. That guy one time gave me a sideways look in the hallway. I will never see you again. I will hide in the produce at Walmart rather than chance having a conversation with this guy because he gave me a sideways glance. Like that is the runners. Okay, and when we're afraid of the tension of the conflict that's going to happen, I don't know what's going to happen, then we either fight or we flight. We run away and we avoid the conflict. It doesn't matter if the conflict is good. It doesn't matter if it's something that we need to hear. It doesn't matter if it's something that someone needs to get off their chest. If it's a healthy step or a healthy move, it does not matter. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to run from the conversation. That is a response in fear, in fear. Some people think conflict is always an attack of Satan, right? You've seen the Facebook status, you know? Somebody disagreed with me about one tiny thing, and it is Satan out to get me. The haters going to hate, it is Satan out to get me, and they just blame it on everybody. I shouldn't have any resistance to my ideas or how I want to live. Any resistance at all is Satan attacking me. Eh, that's not true. Sometimes it might be Satan attacking you. It's just possible. But most of the time, that's not the case. Some people think that all conflict is a challenge to be won, to fight. You come at me, you disrespect me, it's a zero-sum game. There will be one winner and one loser, and I'm always the good guy, and I always win. And that's how it's going to go down. Some people think that all conflict is wrong. That conflict is just a sign that something's gone terribly bad in the relationship. 
Something is just wrong. Like if there's conflict, then this means this is a sign, this is a bad relationship, this is a bad situation, this is toxic. If there's any conflict at all, then it is wrong and it is bad and it is needed to be cut off, avoided, and run away from. I'll just, just avoid it at all costs. Or, or maybe you'll just give in. I'm a martyr. A martyr for Jesus. I'll just suffer and let them have what they want just to stop the conflict at all costs. We'll just move on. We'll just move to a different school. We'll just move to a different church. We'll just move to a different boyfriend or girlfriend. We'll just move to a different job because I got conflict there. We'll just move to a different marriage. They think this is a sign that God is not here. This is a sign we're not compatible. But in 2 Timothy 7, verse 7, chapter 1, it says God has not given us a spirit of fear to fight or flight. He's given us a spirit of what? Of power. Power, true power doesn't have to flex. True power doesn't have to flex. You know, you've seen this, this strong guys in the mirror, and they're all like, and they make their, I can't do that. Like Terry Crews, you know. True power doesn't have to flex. True power doesn't have to, to make you feel it. True power doesn't have anything to prove. True power says, I know who I am. I know who I want to be. I trust that something wrong, if something wrong is pointed out in my life, then I'm going to do whatever is necessary to deal with it in a way that honors God. If something wrong is pointed out, I'm going to deal with it. I'm up for the challenge. I'm up to face this, to deal with this in a, in a calm, adult, responsible, respectable, honoring way. True power feels that way. True power says, I trust that God will forgive me, even if this person doesn't. Even if this person is terrible. Like, I trust God's going to forgive me in this situation. I trust that I will be secure and okay because Christ is my hope, not what people think. Like, I'm going to be okay in this conflict. I'm going to have this conversation, and I'm going to come out okay. I might be wounded, but I won't be harmed. I'm going to deal with this. This is going to grow me. The next one is love. Love is not arrogant or rude. It seeks not its own. Love seeketh not its own from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So many times in conflict, we rejoice in wrongdoing. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to make you pay. And we rejoice in wrongdoing. And then we watch like if something happens to somebody, we're like, ah, they got their comeuppance. <laughs> you know, like this terrible evil. Don't, don't just laugh at me. You know you do it too. But love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love isn't looking to score points and get the zero-sum game and win this fight. That's not what love does. Love rejoices in the truth. And then finally, a sound mind. I don't hear a lot of stuff about sound mind when we talk about Christians. But it's right here. The Spirit of God that He has given us, the Holy Spirit of God, is to give us power. It is to give us love, supernatural power, supernatural love, and a supernatural sound mind. It means a functioning brain. The ability to think clearly, truthfully. To be able to parse and to figure out what is true, what is good what is right, what is holy, and what I should do. God has supernaturally blessed you with the ability to use your brain. Curiosity is an amazing tool. 
You can put it on in the midst of conflict, and it does wonders. We'll talk about that in a second. You don't have to listen to your heart. That's stupid. Don't listen to your heart. You don't have to listen to your heart. You can listen to your brain. So what, did, what happened here? Okay, I know I'm feeling scared. I know I'm feeling afraid and, and that if I confess to this thing or if I listen to this or if I have this conversation, something bad is going to happen. That's fear. But I don't need to listen to that. I can instead engage my brain, listen to this person, listen to this conversation, and then with the Holy Spirit and with my thoughts, I can decide whether this is good and holy and righteous and something I need to pay attention to and deal with in my life or if it's something I need to ignore. I can make that choice using my mind that God has given me. Your emotions will distort your ability to be curious in Christ. When you get too upset, or you get too afraid, or you get too angry, then you're not going to be able to be curious in that moment, which is so important. And God expects us to deal with everything using power, love, and a well-functioning, curious mind. Fear is not a valid option. If your primary response to conflict is fight or flight, then this is a series for you. Because we're going to learn to honor Christ in every conflict we face. How do we honor Christ? I'm just going to assume that you want to honor God in every conflict you face. This series will teach you skills and attitudes so you can honor Christ in every conflict you face. Not just skills, because communication skills alone don't mean that you'll use them to honor God. You might have all the communication skills in the world from going to conferences or reading great books, but you might think to yourself, why would I use those? He doesn't deserve it. Why am I going to do that? Why am I going to put myself out there? And so that's where the attitudes come in. The attitudes to honor Christ teach us, man, I should, I should really do my part in this conflict. It's not just skills. It's not just attitudes. We need both of them, both skills and attitudes, to honor Christ in every conflict we face. So we're going to give a few skills today in one attitude, and then we'll be done. In Philippians chapter 4, this will be our primary text throughout most of the series, unless God takes us somewhere else. But there's a great stuff in Philippians chapter 4, fantastic attitudes, and so we're going to be looking at it. In Philippians 4, verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Philippians, in Philippi. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So this is his intro. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, this section of his letter, I beseech Eudeus, and I beseech, um, and I wrote down the pronunciation of this, Suktihi. It doesn't look like that. I've heard it pronounced a bunch of different ways, but Suktihi. Hopefully we don't have to say it a bunch. We might just start calling her Cynthia. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I beseech Eudeus and Suktihi that they be of the same mind in the Lord, that they agree in the Lord. Now, I don't know what these ladies' argument was about, Eudeus and Suktihi, but it was so bad. It was so big. It was such a thing that Paul wrote in the Bible about their argument. He called them out personally. So, you know, I heard what's going on between Jonathan and Jerome, and I just want you guys to deal with that. So then he gives them some advice. He says, and I entreat thee also. He's talking to the rest of the church. First off, he says, I want these ladies to be of the same mind to agree in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Help them. Help them with this, this conflict, this thing that's going on. With Clement also and with other my fellow laborers. 
whose names are in the book of life. So Paul calls us out in the next several verses. He starts talking about attitude. But before we get to that, let's talk about being of the same mind. Being of the same mind, which is what he says. He says, I want Eudeus and Suktihi to be of the same mind. Or in another translation, to agree in the Lord. I beg you, agree in the Lord. What does it mean to be of the same mind or to agree in the Lord? Does it mean that we all have to have unanimous consent on the color to paint the bathroom? Okay, so say if we want to paint the bathrooms, the ladies' room specifically, should we have a church meeting and a church vote and every person pick a color code from the color wheel, you know, the right shade, and throw it in the offering plate and then we'll take them all and we'll put them all together, and we'll keep doing that. We'll just keep passing the plate until we all agree on the same shade of the same strip of the same color wheel. How's that going to work? <laughs> What's wrong with my plan? Aren't we all the body of Christ? Aren't we all going to be united of the same mind? one together? This is going to be great. It's going to work perfect, right? Why is that a bad idea? Because it's insanity. It's just insane. That will never, ever work. So is that what the Bible means? Is it... It's Paul saying you need to agree about everything. You need to agree about dill pickles and those nasty butter, whatever those are, pick, not pickles. What's that? Breaded butter, yeah. Uh, you're on my list now. You know what they are. <laughs> That's close enough. Guilt by association. <laughs> Do we need to agree about Greek yogurt, which is the sin? Ugh disgusting oh do we need to agree about everything do we huh do we need to agree about star wars versus star trek long and prosper if if we have to agree on every little thing it's just not not possible so what is what is he talking about one person says blue is the only same color to pick for anything that is my wife <laughs> Another says maroon. Another says tanner white is the safe choice. Another says wallpaper is king. Wallpaper, wallpaper, wallpaper. So we just keep voting. Skill number one that I want you to, to learn today. This is a basic, just nuts and bolts skill of life in dealing with conflict. Is start with why. Simon Sinek wrote a fantastic book called Start With Why. Uh, I recommend it if you're a business leader or you want to just figure out how to lead an organization or a team or anything. And in his, in his book, he really talks about how when we start with what, we're just going to have fights. But when we start with why, then we can build consensus. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Instead of starting with what should we paint the walls, we would start with why should we paint the walls? Why should we paint the walls? Having the same mind in Christ means being in agreement about the why. Why should we do something? We might disagree about the what, but we need to be in agreement about the why. Why should we do what we do? And then once you ask why, then you can ask follow-up questions to understand the why. Like this. Why do you want to go to that school? Why do you want to go to that school? What, is, what do you think this school will do for you that this other one won't. What do you think will happen if you go to this school instead of this school? What are the worries that you have? What do you think is, is going to be really good for you here? 
What do you fear might happen if you choose the wrong school? Help me understand. What am I missing? You see how that moves a person into a curiosity mode? They're, they're thinking, well, how do, I want to understand you. I want to understand what is going on. Why are you thinking this? Why are you concerned about this? Or what about this? Why do you want to go out to eat? How many of you have argued about going out to eat? Because it costs a bunch of money, you know, and, and then you're like, well, where do we go? And I don't want to go, and then you're going to go, and then we're going to go. Okay, so why do you want to go out to eat? If we go out to eat, what will that communicate to you? What will you miss out on by not eating out? Maybe they would say, I, I, want, I want to spend time with my friends. You know, once a week we get to go after church, and we want to do this thing, and this is a moment where I get to have fellowship. And you find out, well, it's not about the food, so it's not about the restaurant necessarily. Well, I don't want it to be like this nasty place. We want to have a great fellowship, but maybe we could pick a, a less expensive restaurant. What are you hoping will happen if we eat out? What am I missing? Help me understand. Why do you want us to work overtime, boss? Why, why do you want us to work overtime? What are you afraid will happen if we don't get this done this weekend? Like what's, what's at stake here in the big picture? What parts of this absolutely have to be completed? Is there some parts that aren't as time sensitive? Curiosity, curiosity, curiosity. Maybe you say, well, how about me and this other guy can stay late tonight? We can cover those parts and have them ready for Monday. And then the rest of the guys can work a little extra, you know, and not have to waste their whole weekend coming in. We have to bring everybody in to do this. You might be able to work it out. Why is going to get you to a place where you might be able to have consensus where what and arguing about what won't? Let's go, let go of what for now and get really curious about why. Ask why not without accusations, but with curiosity. Not accusations, why not? Not that kind of thing, but help me understand. I want to understand what is the core, what's, what's the foundational piece that I'm missing here. And that requires power, love, and a sound mind. You can't be like consumed and drenched in fight or flight and be saying, okay, obviously we're not on the same page here. Help me understand. You can't go into that curiosity mode if you're drenched in fight or flight. To be one, to be of the same mind means to be in agreement about why we do what we do. So, how do you know you have identified the why? How do you know when you have identified the why and you've really connected with someone else's why? How do you know that? How do you know? They say, that's right. That's right. When they say, that's right, then you know you've identified the why. Now, notice this is very different from your right. If they say, you're right, that's not the same thing. I got this from a guy named Chris Voss. Chris Voss wrote a fantastic book um, called Never Split the Difference. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. And he dealt with international hostage negotiations for the FBI for years. He taught at Harvard. He taught at Quantico. He wrote the book on hostage negotiation for the FBI. And he said, you want to get to, that's right. Not your right. Your right means the conversation is probably over. When you could state back to them the why, and they respond with, that's right, then it's a big deal. It's a good thing. It means it's a signal that we have identified the same why. We're on the same page here. Now, so go back to our bathroom painting thing. 
And we, we might say, well, let me understand. You think the bathroom should be painted white because you want them to feel very clean. And you want them painted darker because you want them to feel warm and inviting. And you want wallpaper because we could use the borders to say welcome and encouraging affirmations on all of them. And so then I think we can all agree that whatever we pick, we want it to be warm, welcoming, affirming, and very clean to communicate to broken people that we thought of you before you got here and we hope you feel welcome. And hopefully, the disagreeing parties would say, that's right, that's right, that's right. Now you could start to say, okay, well, what is warm and welcoming and affirming and very clean? Maybe, um, why is the bathroom not feel clean right now? Well, we got kids' hands all over, you know, and the dirty and the, and we, I want it, it needs to be just painted white and clean. And well, maybe if we did a chair rail and a dark color on the bottom, that would cover up the, oh, well, that, yeah, that could do it. And then maybe we can get the trustees to like pay a little extra so we can get walls washed or get some people to come in and do that once or or twice a quarter, you know, or something like that. You start talking about how can we solve these things while all coming together. And maybe instead of wallpaper, we could do like those wall decals and like a big scripture verse and some cool decorations. Yeah, that would accomplish the same thing. And then you start to, to figure out how to build consensus. You guys didn't know I was an interior decorator, did you? <laughs> and hopefully everyone responds with that's right. That's right is very, very different from your right. Your right means you have used up all of your relationship tokens and this conversation is over. That's what your right means. See, every relationship has relationship capital, relationship tokens, I call them. And this is such a visual thing for me to help understand because I'm ADD, so I'm on the spectrum. Interpersonal relationships. I grew up like half of my life in Japan, so different cultures. I was all messed up in how I'm supposed to interact with people. So I had to like figure it out from scratch. And this helps me understand. We all have relational capital, okay? Relational capital. So every time that you do something nice for me and kind, then you earn a token. You earn a token. And every time that you say, wow, you look good today, Ron. Go ahead and say it. Wait, you're going to say wow. Wow. You look great. There you go. You earn a token, you know? When you're, you want another one? You're doing great. You said it twice. <laughs> but you're in a token. When you do something kind for someone, when you are generous, when you show them grace, when you show up in their life over and over consistently, when you drive and you go visit them at the hospital or you text them and say, what's going on? You earn relational capital. You earn relational capital. And on the other end, when you do something unkind or not nice or you say something mean, or you cut someone down, you spend relational capital. They take it back. You spend relational capital. You get that? When you criticize someone, when you say, we need to have a talk, and I want to talk to you about what you did and what you said and how you acted, that's going to cost me a whole bunch of relational tokens to have that conversation. <laughs> okay? That's going to cost me like a big chunk. Like big chunks of tokens. Okay, and I may not have very many left. And then if I go back to my father-in-law and say, you know what, not only that, but I've got to tell you about this. And then I've got to tell you about this. And then the other day, you said that, and it bothered me. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. You know, and then I've got, I've got this little bit left. 
And then I go to him, and I have some other tiny little thing that doesn't—it's not even a big deal. Hey, can you move your truck? I'm bankrupt. And he's like, I'm not talking to you. Once I spend all my tokens, he's not talking to me. We're done. He's not talking to me. He's either going to just completely shut me out. Have you ever had that where you're having this conversation and somebody just won't talk? Not only that, I don't have enough tokens to even find out what I did wrong. I have bankrupted the relationship. Well, what's wrong? Nothing. What does that mean? You don't even have enough currency here for me to tell you what's wrong. Like, I'm over it. I'm done. Maybe you earn some more tomorrow. Maybe you're in a a marriage or a family, and so you're going to just naturally earn tokens tomorrow or something, and eventually over time, maybe you could get get some, some... But we're done. And so when someone says, you're right, what that means is, you're out of tokens, buddy. Like, you're done. When someone says you're right, they're saying, yeah, you're right. Well, I guess I, guess I better get going. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I know, I know you're right. Well, give me a hug. It's good seeing you. What are they saying? Are they saying, you know what? You've convinced me, and I feel like I need to change, and I've learned something about myself. Or are they saying, just shut up and go away? <laughs> And I know if I tell you you're right, then you'll feel good and you'll leave. That's what you're right means. Now I've just ruined it because you're going to recognize you're saying it in relationships and then you're going to be like, you just said you're right. You, know? <laughs> you don't have any tokens to talk to me about that. <laughs> That's not why I'm giving this illustration. Okay, I'm not trying to give you. <laughs> but that's what it is. When you say to someone, you're right. When someone says you're right, it means you have beat me into submission and I'll say whatever I need to say for you to just stop talking to me, please. Um, please, just leave it alone. I quit. I give up. I'll say whatever. I'll do whatever in front of you to make you stop. That is not agreeing in Christ. That is not being of the same mind. That is beating someone down. You're right means you've used up all your conversation tokens. And I'd like you to go away right now. You're right never signals of the same mind in Christ or agreeing in Christ. Yeah, you're right. It just means go away. You have a certain amount of relational capital. And when you spend it, if you don't have enough tokens built up, they won't listen at all. If you have tokens to spend, then they will offer to hear you out at the beginning of the conversation. They'll offer to hear you out because I've, I've been there for you. I've showed up in your life. I've loved you. I've demonstrated trustworthiness. So I'll hear you out to start with. But if you get to your right, that means... You've spent all your tokens, and the conversation's probably over. If someone is of a higher status than you, it costs more tokens to have the conversation. You know that? What do you mean, higher status? We don't have that. In Japan, it was very clear who was of a higher status and who was of a lower status. America's way worse because we have the same stuff, the same like class systems. We just hide it and pretend it's not real. But to go and, and confront your boss about something is going to cost you more tokens than it costs to confront an employee. It does. It just it costs more. If somebody's mad, it costs more tokens. If somebody's in a bad mood, it costs more tokens. If you've nitpicked this person already, like I demonstrated with my father-in-law, 
it costs more tokens. It might cost double or triple. This is why when you offer helpful driving tips to that person out your window in your car, they don't listen, do they? They don't respond well. You have no tokens. You have no, you have no capital to spend. In fact, you might be negative tokens starting out in this conversation. And you know you bankrupt a relationship when they won't talk to you anymore. And you ask, what's wrong? What did I do? But you don't even have enough tokens for that conversation. If you hear you're right a lot, it doesn't mean that you're super smart. It means you have a lot of bankrupt relationships. It means a lot of people write you off. That's hard to hear. But it's true. I've been there. And it's a harsh reality. On the other hand, that's right. It means you get it. You get me. You understand. And when you get to that's right, and you could state back to someone what they're feeling, what they're thinking, you could demonstrate, I understand what matters to you. Then you get all the tokens back. All the tokens that we spent to start the conversation, I get all the tokens back. You're like, wow, you have earned trust. You have stated how I feel. We're on the same page. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what I want. That's right. So we need to spend our tokens on trying to understand rather than trying to be understood. We have to spend our capital, our precious relational capital that we have. And I mean, the marbles are a great picture of that. Parents, you only have so much relational capital with your kids. It's not infinite just because you're bigger than them and you pay the bills. Yes, it means you have some power and authority, but relational capital is different. And those conversations cost over time. We need to spend the, the relational capital that we have in curiosity and trying to understand rather than be understood. Or else, we're going to bankrupt those relationships. By the time they're a teenager, well, I mean, it's going to happen in teen years anyways. A lot of times, by the time they're a teenager, like, everything costs a whole lot more. <laughs> like It's just, you know, the, those conversations are more expensive. But if you spend your tokens on trying to understand rather than trying to be understood, then you can earn those tokens back. You can invest in the relationship. Then those tokens you're spending are an investment. I know this is going to be a hard conversation, but I need to talk to you, and I want to understand you, and I want to know what's going on in your life. And these are investments, because I know if this conversation goes well, I'm going to get it back, and then some, because now I've built rapport. Spend your tokens trying to understand rather than trying to be understood. And remember last week, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, he says, Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, Though I am free from all men, yet have I become a servant. I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. What does that mean for a Christian? It means we're supposed to spend our tokens not just on trying to get what we want in a relationship. We're supposed to spend our tokens for the kingdom of God. We're supposed to invest our tokens and our relational capital in helping further God's kingdom and helping people to know Christ and helping to demonstrate who God is and what He has done in us to demonstrate the grace of God, the kindness of God, 
the joy of following Christ. We're supposed to spend our tokens to encourage others to follow Jesus, not just to do whatever we want. And Paul spent all his relational tokens wisely in helping to understand people so he could lead them to Christ, not just in getting his own way or convincing people he's right, or to soothe his own fears and anxieties about someone else's behavior. Sometimes we're so afraid of what will happen to someone that we love. We're so afraid. We have so much anxiety of what will happen to people we love because of the choices they make that we fight them rather than understand them. Right? We're going to fight them. I'm so scared of how you're going to damage your life. You're going to get hurt. Let me punch you in the nose. Like, <laughs> we do. We fight rather than try to understand. And we tell them all our fears and anxieties about their behavior. We tell them how we love them and how they ru- they're ruining their lives. And you need to listen to this. You need to hear me out. And we spend all of our tokens and they respond with, yeah, you're right. Well, I better get going. I know you care about me. And if you respond out of fear, you will fight or flight. You can't be curious when you're in fight or flight mode. You can't understand their why. And if you can't understand their why, you can't get to that's right, which means you're just burning relationship tokens. So, I've given you two skills. Start with why and get to that's right. Those are two skills. I want you to practice those. Now we're going to look at one attitude real quick, and then we'll be done. I have two slides. I beseech you, Udeus, and I beseech Udeus and Sutihi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He tells them, I want you guys to get along. And then he tells everyone else, I want you to help them get along. And I want you to have this attitude in conflict. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why would you rejoice in conflict? Well, I'm sick in the head and I like conflict. So, <laughs> some of you maybe. But why should we all rejoice in conflict? When we see conflict, instead of getting scared and anxious and worried about it, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. This is the first attitude to put on when you see conflict coming or you find yourself in the middle of conflict. Rejoice. Rejoice. Celebrate. Because it's an opportunity to honor Christ, number one, so few people honor Christ in conflict that when we do it well as Christians, it speaks volume. It's just world-changing. I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, I, had this, I was scared of this conversation. We had this It went great. I mean, they responded well. There was forgiveness. There was kindness. I don't, there was grace. Like, I don't, wow, that was so great. Wow. People are so terrible with conflict that when we handle it well, It just blows people away and it brings honor and glory to Christ. Number two, you're going to learn something. You should rejoice because you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something about yourself. This is a chance to operate in the power and love and sound mind that God has supernaturally given you. And it's a chance to learn something about another person, to know them better, and to grow that relationship. Because I'm going to handle conflict well. And I'm going to learn about them. And I'm going to come away with more relational capital because I'm honoring Christ in this. And I'm going to help to understand them instead of just worrying about my own territory and being understood. And then finally, this is how you change. This is a chance for you to grow. Conflict is always a chance for you to grow. You're going to learn something about what you did wrong. 
that can be corrected in the future. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to know where you're wrong so that you can correct it and fix it and be right? No. <laughs> Not at all. I really don't. <laughs> what gave you that idea? <laughs> Isn't that who we're supposed to be in Christ? I want to know what's wrong. I want to know what, if I'm hurting my wife. I want to know if I'm being mean to my kids or if I'm being a jerk. I want to know if I'm out of line here. I want to know if there's a better way I can handle that situation. I want to know so that I could try to do better. Because I trust they're going to forgive me or they're going to give me grace. And even if they don't, God will. And I'm going to learn from it. Even if they just hate me and they're like, you did this. And you. I, had a, I had a supervisor at UPS when I loaded trucks there. This guy loved conflict. I mean, he just loved conflict. He loved screaming at people and swearing at people and spit and snot coming out. of He was this really skinny guy, you know, like smaller than me. And he would just like go at you. And um, I would work the same speed whether he yelled at me or not. Like I, I killed myself. I wanted to work hard. I felt like it was my, my moral duty to, to destroy my back for EPS. I was like 19, 20 or something. And so, you know, I'm working hard either way. And he would just come in and start screaming and yelling. And then I got promoted to a supervisor, and I was running my own section, my own area. And he would come over and yell at me then. What do you do this wrong? You did that wrong. Look at this. It's a mess. This is, you suck, and blah, 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 blah. You know, what's worse than that, okay? Like, that's uh, much, much worse. Like, it's all the, all the swears, all the, the colorful language. Um, this guy was a master of it. And so, as he would be yelling at me, first off, I'm a curious guy, so I would just like look at him. I'm like, wow, look at him, so mad. He's like so cute. And, ah, you know? He's like spitting and snot, and I just thought it was so interesting to see somebody mad like that. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm not wired for that. Um, so, but he'd be yelling, and so I, I would start listening to him. And in between the swear words, he'd be like, you should have done this, you should have done that. So the next night, I would do that. And then he'd yell about something else, and, and, then, and I'd listen to that, and then I would change that, and I would change that, and I would do all the, I took all his advice. And my section ran great. Like, I got to where I was just sitting and drinking coffee all night long, watching my operation run super smooth, and he never came and yelled at me anymore. But even, like, he didn't like me. I didn't like him. But because I was able to be in a curious frame of mind. Even somebody who's against you, you can learn from. You can learn something. A lot of the times, you can glean something. You can learn something. That old guy at work who's telling you you're doing it wrong, just listen. You might learn something. So when conflict comes, I'm, I'm excited because maybe there's something that nobody else was willing to tell me. But for whatever reason, this person, maybe it's their ego, maybe it's their pride, maybe it's some other thing. Maybe it's because they care about me and they love me. They're bringing it to my attention. And I'm going to have an opportunity to use my brain to say, is this guy off his rocker or is this guy right? Maybe I try it, maybe I don't try it. But I can make that decision for myself. You're going to build up in character. Isn't that what you want? To grow in Christ, to grow in character, to do better next time. Don't let fear control how you deal with conflict. Learn to agree in the Lord. Learn to look after the why and the that's right rather than your right. And when conflict comes, rejoice. Rejoice. Honor Christ 
and learn something. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would be with us this week. I pray that you would help us to lean into your Holy Spirit's power, love, and the sound mind that you give us. Help us not to be scared of conflict. If we are, God, forgive us for that. You give us grace for that. You know, maybe we just didn't have the skills to respond any other way, or this is how we were brought up, or this is our family of origin, or whatever. God, I pray that you would help us to start to look at that and realize maybe this is keeping us from growing relationships. Maybe this is keeping us from growing in our walk with Christ. And help us to, to get curious rather than angry. To seek to understand rather than be understood. And to figure out how to agree in Christ and find common ground on the why of what is important. And we are a church where broken people find hope. Help us to constantly be working on ourselves with your Holy Spirit, even in the midst of conflict, to grow, to grow in our walk with you and to be more like you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.